This is the Daily Signal podcast for Thursday, December 28th. I'm Virginia Allen, and welcome back to the Daily Signal's Best of 2023 podcast series. This week, we are bringing you all of the best shows from the year. These are our favorites. They're your favorites. And I am really excited for this conversation today. You know, few people were talked about more in 2023 than Tucker Carlson. So it's no surprise that Rob Bluey's conversation with biographer Chadwick Moore on his new book, Tucker, was among the most popular interviews from this year. But before we get to that, I do want to take a minute as we near the end of the year to explain how you can be even more so a part of our Daily Signal family and a part of our Heritage Foundation family. As many of you are aware of, the Daily Signal is the news outlet of the Heritage Foundation. And the Daily Signal podcast is a product of the Heritage Foundation, which is one of the world's most influential and trusted think tanks. We've been operating since 1973. Heritage works in Washington, D.C. and across the country to develop conservative policy solutions to the most critical issues facing America today. And those are issues that we then often talk about right here on the Daily Signal podcast, sometimes with Heritage Foundation experts. And Heritage is fighting every day in a war against failed leftist policies that threaten to destroy our country. And we need your help to keep on doing just that. So please consider making a tax-deductible gift in support of the Heritage Foundation and the Daily Signal before December 31st. If you want to give, just go to heritage.org. Again, that's heritage.org. Together, we can take back America. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get to Rob Louie's conversation with Chadwick Moore as they discuss the effects of Tucker Carlson on the media landscape and his new book, Tucker. Welcome to The Daily Signal, Chadwick. Hey, thanks for having me on. Great to be here. Well, congratulations on this fantastic book. I couldn't be better timed. Obviously, you did not know on April 21st when you appeared with Tucker on the show that uh, what would happen a few days later with Fox News. But it's a book that you began working on a long time before that interview took place. And we're grateful that uh, you're joining us today to talk about it. Yeah, thanks. That was uh, Tucker's last show on Fox. And and uh, we started this book over a year ago, as you said, and and we had no idea what was about to happen that Monday. Uh, no one no one on the show did at all either. Well, take us back to your connection to Tucker Carlson. How did you first meet him? And when did this relationship begin? Sure. Uh, so I was a regular guest on the show for basically the entire run of the show. And my first appearance was uh, February 2017. I'd written up an article in the New York Post coming out as a conservative. At the time, I was working in liberal media, magazines and newspapers. I was writing for the New York Times. I was writing for various other places. And I just got so fed up with what I was seeing in the media that I wrote a piece. I didn't think anyone would read it and just sort of clearing the air. I I didn't want anyone to think that I was like these other people, like my colleagues, in that being totally Trump deranged and and pushing all of this uh, fake news and and really um, unconcerned with freedom of the press or freedom of speech or or genuine inquiry or or curiosity, which I always thought journalists were supposed to have. Um, and uh, Tucker's people got wind of that piece and they invited me on his show. 
Um, and uh, after that, I was uh, just a regular. Uh, that's sort of how I, I got to know him. You know, it sounds like your story is like so many other guests who have appeared on his his program over the years. He was always looking for people who maybe went outside, even at Fox, of your typical kind of booking. And uh, and so uh, grateful to hear that uh, his his team found you. When it came to the biography, though, how did you approach that topic with him? Did you did you pitch him on the idea? Did he approach you about the idea? What was the origin of that? Yeah, so my publisher, All Seasons Press, approached me and they said, uh, you know, we want to do, this was early last spring, you know, we want to do a book about Tucker Carlson. We feel he's the most important and influential voice in American politics and you know, we want you to write it. And uh, I was, you know, very, very honored and very flattered. And I, I, I first said, um, you know, I don't really think Tucker's going to be into that. Like, I'm a guest on his show. I, I, is this a little weird? I don't know. And uh, let me let me ask him and see what he thinks. So I, I called him up and... Uh, at first he said, um, he said, you know, uh, he said, oh, you know, I'm not very interesting. No one wants to read a book about me. I'm a really boring guy. And, you know, I, I, he's like, I don't really think that's a good idea. And I said, yeah, I, 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 I don't think you're a boring guy. I think millions of people would disagree, but I respect that. And, um, uh, as we were about to hang up, uh, he just started talking and he was saying, you know, boy, well, I, I read your columns all the time and like, you're a really talented writer. And he started talking about columns I'd written years ago uh, that he remembered. And I was so flattered by that. I didn't even know he read my work. And, um, occasionally actually he would like text me, he read something, but, uh, and, um, he sort of talked himself into it and said, well, yeah, you know, let's do it. Like, I think, I think it'd be fun. And, and I'm, and you're a good writer and, uh, I respect you and stuff like that. So, um, that was also flattering. And, um, after that, we were just off to the races and we started working on it immediately after that. Well, again, the book is called Tucker. It's a biography of Tucker Carlson. Chadwick, what can readers expect when they open this book? Well, I really wanted to get, you know, to, to write about who he is as a man, as a human being, who he is as off camera, what he's like to work with, and also his, his really pinned out his entire history, uh, his entire career, and also, uh, you know, his, his childhood, his high school years, his college years, and even beyond that, you know, his, his father, Dick, was his greatest, continues to be his greatest mentor and inspiration. So I write a lot about Dick's life, about his childhood, uh, and then even going as far back into the family history of when they immigrated to this country, what his whose ancestors were, uh, up until um, uh, two weeks after his show was taken off the air. That's sort of where we end the book. I got to interview him twice after his show was taken off and, and updated the book for that content. But I hope that they really get a sense of, you know, not just his political beliefs, which everyone knows pretty much where he stands on everything, but just who this guy is, where he came from, what motivates him, like who is he as a man? How does he operate in the world and not just the person that millions of people were watching on television every night? And I understand that Tucker gave you unprecedented access not only to interview him, but his family, coworkers, and other acquaintances, and even some adversaries who who he's uh, clashed with over the years. What was that process like as you went through those interviews and and really heard the stories of Tucker Carlson's life? Yeah, his uh, the, the the hardest part of this book was getting uh, liberals to talk to me, <laughs> even people who spend their careers and even had full-time jobs just writing hit pieces about Tucker Carlson. Of course, they ran and hid whenever they were asked for an interview. Uh, it was telling also that a lot of people who he actually still has friendly relationships with 
wouldn't want to appear in this book because they think he's so toxic and which is you know sad and just speaks to, to how spineless and callow so many people are in media and politics. But uh, but I did get obviously plenty of people to talk to me, hundreds of hours of interviews. And um, uh, it was great really speaking to his wife, Susie. Uh, she's lovely. They've been together since they were 15 years old, which is amazing. They were married when they were 21. And, you know, hearing stories from her, uh, also his dad, Dick, as I mentioned before, because family is really what's most important to Tucker Carlson. And it has been for a long time. And that and that, shot, that shows through, not only does he speak of that, but it, it shows. And his family is very close. He has four children, uh, four dogs, four spaniels that are also very important and a part of the family. And his relationship with his wife, with his father, with his brother Buckley are really what's at his core and, and what's most important. Uh, and I, and I wanted that to come through in the book. So, you know, he's not just someone whose entire life is driven by politics. He's actually a very uh, well-rounded person, has a very rich inner life, a very rich spiritual life and uh, and family life. And that's really at the core of his being. It's the core of, of what keeps him sane and what uh, really makes him able to do what he does is having that bedrock behind him. And I And I really wanted that to come through in the book. From all those interviews you did with him and others, are there any particular stories or moments in his life that stand out to you that were consequential? Oh, there's there, there's so many. Um, I, I guess what immediately popped in my head, maybe just because I just mentioned Susie, uh, is a story that she told me that no one knows. This, this is the first time I'm telling it, except for in the book, is uh, that um, if, if uh, any, any of your listeners recall in uh, November 2018, Antifa attacked his home in D.C. This was right after the midterms and his wife Susie was home alone. And uh, that was the reason they left D.C. They, they moved uh, out of D.C. because of that. Uh, but Susie told me a story that after that, President Trump actually called her on the phone and said to her, uh, he said to her, I just want you to know that there's a lot of love in this world and you should focus on that. And uh, and then he said, you know, do you want me to come and stand in front of your home? And Susie said, no, no, please don't do that. But thank you, Mr. President. And um, Susie said to me that was that was something that she carries with her to this day, because obviously there's a lot of, you know, she, she doesn't watch, pay attention much to social media, but she obviously gets wind of all the hate that, that comes at her family. And uh, she said that she'd always remember President Trump's words on that. I thought that was such a sweet story that nobody um, knows about. Uh, it, well, they will when they read the book and, and now after, after listening to you. But it was a really uh, nice moment. That story just really stuck out to me for some reason. Well, thank you for sharing that. And uh, and so many other stories that, as you say, are featured in the book. I think it's uh, an eye-opening uh, read for, for so many people who probably don't really know the true Tucker Carlson. And my next question goes to that point, uh, what are the biggest misperceptions that people have about Tucker Carlson that, that you hope that either the book will correct or you can tell me right now some of the things that are top of mind for you? I think aside from the usual, uh, you know, racist, sexist, homophobe, transphobe, whatever they want to call him, which, you know, obviously no one believes that stuff anymore. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily a misconception, but I think one of the most revealing things about him uh, is that, you know, if you spend a lot of time around people in television, especially cable news, there's Tons of egos out there, right? And a lot of people tend to think that they're God and they tend to have big heads. Uh, and I don't know if anyone really has that perception of Tucker, but I think it's interesting that, that if you do think that way about cable news people and you'd be right most of the time, I think it's, it's, it's interesting to read in this book to the extent to which he really isn't that. I mean, the extent to which he kind of goes through things to make sure he doesn't think that he is God, that he doesn't, that he, he, he really humbles himself. And he had his father to teach him that along the way. His father was also in television and, uh, and other mentors to sort of instruct him to don't, you know, really believe your own BS. And that is to, to believe the hype about yourself, uh, do things that, to remind you that you're, 
no different than any other human that walked this earth. You're no different than any other child of God. Uh, you're just a man. Not not everyone's on television. Um, I think that was really, really interesting. Uh, if you sort of think a certain way about how he might be in person, being being have, having the notoriety he does and having the best, the highest rating show in cable. Uh, that respect of how he stood out, I think, for most people working television was pretty revealing and really interesting to get to get to know and to get to see that. You know, one thing that I've heard Tucker say in interviews is how he goes about absorbing the news. He, he doesn't watch television or read the New York Times or, or do things that probably so many other TV hosts and producers do. Instead, he talks to everyday Americans. And those are individuals who he probably met over the course of his life. Uh, I remember him telling the story. I think it was a, a waitress in Montana who you know he keeps in touch with and, and shares stories. And, and it's really interesting. And I think that goes to the heart of how probably you two even made your connection is he's looking for people who aren't part of the typical cabal on, on cable TV news. Um, so how, how would you say that Tucker does, uh, or how has he come to form the beliefs he does today? And how has that changed over the course of his life? He, uh, I mean, it's a good question. And he's always been a kind of like mischievous scamp. He always likes poking and stirring the pot. He loves debate. He absolutely loves to be, he's, you know, I have stories about his time in the debate club in high school and how it became a spectacle and people would show up for this and crowd the room, particularly when he debated staff at the school. And so he's always had that edge to him. Uh, I think that he just has probably, as he's gotten older and as more importantly, as the country changed, I think that he became more galvanized and really driven by uh, a mission to save the country. Uh, I think that, um, you know, I think that his wife believes it was a calling from God, that this is his calling to do this, that he really feels this in a way that maybe in his CNN, uh, CNN years and MSNBC years, he didn't necessarily feel um, the urgency of the moment. I think that he certainly does now. Uh, and I think that motivates him so much. And that changed his content so much. And that really, um, that really, uh, uh, led him to become, to really come into his own during the Fox years. And he was given a lot of freedom at Fox to, to, to do that. At the same time, the nation was changing in a way that aligned with a lot of values and perspectives that he'd always had. This kind of civil libertarian perspective, this, uh, uh, idea that, that, um, as we've seen the traditional definitions of left and right or Democrat Republican aren't really holding as they once did. And he's always sort of skirted that line. He's never been a party line hack in the way that a lot of people are. Um, and that really has, has spoken to people and, and people have responded to that because the nation is in that in that place right now. One area where he has recently uh, challenged the Republican Party establishment is on foreign policy. Uh, Tucker himself was an early champion of of the intervention in Afghanistan and Iraq, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, but then upon I think seeing firsthand what was going on uh, in a foreign country, uh, slowly began to change his mind about American foreign policy. Can you walk us through that evolution in his life and where he stands today, and and how uh, as somebody who stands up to Republican presidential candidates specifically, uh, how that's shaping politics in the nation today? Yeah, absolutely. That was his first big break from Beltway conservatism, and he. In uh, 2003, he went to Iraq to write a story for Esquire. He was embedded with civilian contractors in Baghdad in the green zone. And uh, he says that that experience completely, that was his first big break, that completely, that completely changed his mind about American foreign policy, interventionism, American empire, because he saw firsthand what was happening on the ground there. 
uh, and it horrified him. And he said that, you know, he learned that neoconservatives were no different than liberals with guns or all they were was liberals with guns. That was when he really he really started to wake up to to this problem of the establishment and of the uniparty. And we certainly saw that with the, the summit in Iowa last week where he really took to task some candidates on the Republican Party. And, and that I mean, that that sit down, if anyone saw it, was really sort of showed that he is representing the conscience of so many Republican voters in this country and really exposing how the candidates are completely detached. Maybe they don't even know that this is what's on voters' minds or maybe they just simply don't care. But uh, for, for some of those candidates, it was an absolute disaster. Uh, but for voters, everyone was cheering they, they, as they did nightly on his show, many of them, uh, for finally, you know, hearing what they want to hear and their perspectives and the questions they have being aired on a national platform. When it comes to his next steps, we obviously have seen Tucker on Twitter, uh, both his monologues and long form interview with Andrew Tate, uh, what do you think he has in store for the future? Is it going to be similar mix of content? We've also heard about this potential media company to maybe take it to the next level with subscribers. Uh, any any advice or guidance that you can share with our listeners about what's uh, what's to come? Yeah, well, reports have it that they are fundraising for a new media venture. Uh, Tucker's executive producer, Justin Wells, who I saw this week, uh, told me that uh, that uh, that if this happens, uh, and it looks like it will, uh, people can expect to see a lot more Tucker Carlson than they ever did on Fox. Uh, and uh, apparently there's some negotiations happening here. I do kind of suspect that Tucker uh, wants to be his own boss. I don't think that he's going to join some other platform or or really, I don't think he'd bring on investors who want to have editorial control in his content, uh, which I don't think of a problem finding. Um, so uh, uh, we've also, Justin, teased that soon they're going to have a very big interview, a long-form interview posted on Twitter um, very soon. We don't know who that's going to be with, uh, but people can look out for that. Uh, so it's anchored to Twitter right now. I think for uh, legal reasons, that makes a lot of sense because Tucker's obviously still under contract with Fox News. But I, I've heard, I haven't seen his contract, I've heard that Fox didn't include Twitter in their non-compete, which is why he He's able to do this. He's not making money off Twitter right now. He's not being paid by Elon Musk. Um, I guess from a legal standpoint, he could just be giving his political opinions of the day on Twitter like anyone on Fox does and is allowed to do. Uh, so uh, his contract expires after the next presidential election uh, in early 2025. Uh, it looks like if Fox has their way, they would like for him to be silent until after the next election, which is chilling and terrifying. And they're still paying him. He's still getting his usual paycheck uh, to not have a show. Uh, and, um, that is, that's what we know right now. And is it, uh, is it, are, are you of the opinion and, and as so many of us are that, uh, that we don't know the real reason why Fox canceled his show or were you able to gather some inside knowledge from Tucker or some of the other people close to him as to what transpired on April 24th? Well, we have some people quoted in the book uh, about that. I mean, nobody knows for certain. I've got what my sources told me. I've got what I speculate happened. Uh, you know, it could have been any number of things. I think what, what's clear is that uh, it was content related. It was political rela related. And I think that that is obvious because, number one, the, the hassle they're giving him now about keeping quiet. You know, obviously, there's big globalist corporations that have controlling states in Fox. There's people like Paul Ryan who are on the board of Fox. There are people like the Murdochs who are big fans of the war in Ukraine. They're big fans of Zelensky. There are many forces that wanted him to be quiet, despite the fact he was propping up not only the entire primetime lineup, but the network. And I would argue propping up all of cable news in terms of its relevancy and lifespan, perhaps artificially so. 
And uh, I, this sort of is confounded with the fact that, that Fox News fired his entire team, about 25 people. They're working across his three shows. Uh, you, that's not normal at all for a news company. People are hired to work for a network, not for shows. But of course, he had a very close-knit team. Uh, and uh, they were all let go. So um, speculation has run wild. We address a lot of the speculations in the book. We tell what some of my sources said. But um, uh, Fox News has not given an official reason. They've not told Tucker an official reason. They're happy to just let everyone speculate. And, um, uh, and they seem to think that's the best approach. Chadwick, are we, we going to see you on Fox News anytime? Or uh, are, are you uh, also in that same camp as uh, Tucker? Unfortunately, I was banned from Fox News the two hours after we announced this book. I was a regular on not just Tucker's show, but on uh, Greg Gutfeld's show, Jimmy Fallon's show, several others. But I was uh, banned when we announced the book. So I'm on the Fox blacklist with so many great Americans. It's a really it's a good list to be on, you know, so um, they won't. I don't think you'll be seeing me there anytime soon. Uh, well, well, we'll miss you, but you certainly uh, will have plenty of other platforms, including the Daily Signal, to, to get your message out. So uh, so thank you again for, for being uh, with us. Uh, again, the book is called Tucker. It's by Chadwick Moore. Uh, I encourage you to pick up a copy. Uh, Chadwick, just a couple of uh, final questions. First of all, how can people follow your work? Uh, I, I know this is just one aspect of, of the journalism that you do. What would you like our listeners to know about you? Um, sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chabuk underscore more. Um, I'm a contributing editor and columnist at The Spectator. And uh, you can find a lot of my columns there. And uh, you can find more about the book at TuckerTheBook.com. Thanks for joining us today as we continue our Daily Signal Best of 2023 podcast series. That's going to do it for today's episode. We do not have any top news shows this week. Again, we'll be back next week bringing you every evening the news of the day to keep you informed and up to date in the meantime please take a minute to leave the daily signal a five-star rating and review it's a great christmas gift to all of us here at the daily signal and also be sure to hit the subscribe button we hope you have a great rest of your day we will see you right back here tomorrow morning for our final edition of the daily signals best of podcast series The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Samantha Asheris. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.